Welcome to Remixing the Narrative. Remixing the Narrative is a podcast that discusses the issues and topics that impact children, families, and education. Through dialogue, we discuss the good, bad, great, and ugly with the hopes to promote change. Tune in to get expert advice and tools to help the whole family. Today's um, podcast is Parents Equal Advocates. And to join the conversation today, I have the wonderful Dr. Regina Williams. Regina, you on here? Yes, hello. How are you? I'm pretty good. How you doing? I'm great. So before we jump into the questions, I do want to share your background so that parents and people who are listening in could just know a little bit about you. So I have your bio here in front of me. Um, so okay. Dr. Regina N. Williams is an expert in the field of special education. During her 10 years plus in urban education, she's worked in a variety of roles as a special education teacher, a case manager, and department leader. Dr. Williams has also worked as an adjunct professor in teacher education programs at various universities in Illinois. The extent of her work in relationships with organizations is represented in her visual resume. So she is also the CEO of an amazing company called Special Education Consultants, LLC, which is designed and is presented presents professional developments for charter school networks, universities, and educational organizations. She's also just, I think, a just great advocate for special education. So I'm just grateful to have you on and just to jump oh, in you. in a way to just support our families so they can know the best way to support their kids. Yeah, that we need to do more of that. Exactly. So um, I thought of this episode because. One, some of the families that I work with that come to Birth into Books and some of the events do have children who are diverse learners. And so a question that we always are having is, okay, what are the resources that they're providing them at schools? And some of them are like, please, with what those things are. And others are like, I'm completely lost and I don't know how to best support my child. And so I thought that this would be a great episode to be able to just kind of empower parents to be advocates and also just give them some tips if their child is currently um, going through the process or has already been identified as someone who needs extra supports at school. Okay. And so the first question we'll start with are, what are steps that parents should take to get their child evaluated for an IEP? If you have any concerns about your child's um, performance in school, like I had a friend who recently um, had her child tested but it was really like, what's mm -hmm. the process to get it done? So what would you say is the first step if a parent feels as if their child needs extra support? Okay. So that's a question that has a variety of answers. Okay. And as I go through this, if they're like, if it sounds like too much, stop okay. me and I can clear <laughs> no problem. Um, So one of the first things is to notice that your child has some academic or behavior struggles and noticing that can come from you or the teacher. So for example, if your child's grades are low or they don't seem to be learning or standardized test scores show a huge gap between the average student and your child's score, that might be um, that might indicate that you might want to have your child evaluated. Mm -hmm. What you're supposed to do is communicate with the school. Usually that's done in writing a letter and ask for a meeting to discuss your child's needs. The school has to respond to your letter, and they may look at data and decide that your child does not need an evaluation. If this happens and you still feel strongly that your child should be evaluated, 
write another mm. letter. Um, most schools are not likely to deny your request again because you do have rights as a parent and some of the punishments the school could get, you know, it's it's not worth it. So they're going to sit down and talk to you, basically. Um, another option, depending on what kind of things you notice about your child, you may want to just take your child to the doctor. During your doctor's visit, share your academic behavior concerns, anything you want to share with the doctor. And most doctors will write a letter that asks the school to evaluate your child. So when you get a letter from a doctor, instead of writing your own letter, the school will meet with you because you're already bringing in proof of your concerns and signed by a medical professional. I love that. Yeah. Yes. So also, sometimes the doctor may refer you to a psychologist and the psychologist complete an evaluation that they think is necessary. So if the results communicate that your child has special needs, the psychologist can also give you a letter to take to the school and it may show your child's uh, testing results. Now, at that point, the specialized services team at the school should be meeting with you and determining if your child needs more evaluations that the school offers or if your child is ready to get a 504 plan or an IEP or if no services are needed for your child. Sometimes we have test results that show that a student may have ADHD or something like that, but if their diagnosis is not impacting them in school, then they don't qualify for a 504 plan or an IEP. And I have seen that sometimes, um, but in most cases, um, getting letters from the doctor will allow your child to be, you know, get a 504 plan or an IEP to move forward. Gotcha. So I know that what you just shared just seemed like a very like straightforward <laughs> process. I know that I've heard it from both sides. So being a teacher and also on the side of like my friends who are parents. And so I think one of the things mm-hmm. that you also can explain is just like the, the timing for these things, because I think from a teacher's standpoint, we've had students where we're like, okay, I know that there's something going on. And so you can put in recommendations or you can you know, say, hey, I think this child should be looked at. And then you can feel as if, like, the process itself is so long. Like, are they going to get any services this school year? And then also, I think on the parent side, the same frustration. Like, I have not just one, but a few friends who were like, man, I put this request in the beginning of the year, and they keep saying that they don't have, like, the time, or um, I'm going to look into my own insurance and see what I can do on my own. And so what would you say is, like going to the doctor, getting this letter, taking them to the school. But what's like an average time for a kid to actually start having the process for the IEP? Um, it seems a bit, it takes the whole school year. It, You know what? It can take about <laughs> a whole school year. Yeah. It's not a quick process. And depending on how well organized the special education department is at your school, it can be... Um, it can be a frustrating process. And the biggest thing I can say is that pushback. Don't allow someone to tell you that, you know, we don't have time for this. You do have time for it. Yeah. Especially it is mandated by federal laws. So when someone tells you that they are breaking the law mm. and they can't face charges and that's information you can present to them. Someone tells you, I don't have time to evaluate your child. 
mm, maybe I can make time to report you to the state. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that aggression is needed when you're trying to get yeah. something that your child needs. And then I bet you you'll get a meeting and something else. Um, so the timeline, I'm actually looking at it now because I don't have it memorized. But it's usually, so when you submit a letter, they have to respond to you within, I think it's either, I think it's 14 school days. And when oh, they wow. respond to you, they can say, yeah, they can say, we're going to, we want to sit down and meet with you about possibly evaluating your child. Or they can say, based on the data we looked at, no, we don't want to have that meeting with you. Yeah. So if they do want to have that meeting with you and they you know, you all determine that you're going to give the student, you know, evaluations. There takes, they have up to 60 days to do that evaluation. Mm. So when you get permission from the evaluation, you still can wait up to 60 days. And depending on how well organized your special ed department is, I've seen it take, you know, maybe 20 days. I've also seen it take close to 75 days, which is still illegal. But it is a lengthy process, and again, that pushback, that asking questions can help you get things done quicker. The squeaky wheel gets the oil, yep. and that applies to special ed as well. I love it. Yeah, I, I think that you definitely have shared something that I didn't even know because, like I said, I've had both on the teacher and the parent side, like the frustration of feeling mm-hmm. as if like their case isn't, isn't being taken seriously, and and the and because of that, their child is suffering, right? They they know something yes. is wrong. They're frustrated at home, trying to help their child, and also their child's morale is starting to go down. They feel like, what's wrong with me? Why can't yes. I get this? And so everyone's frustrated, yes. and it's like at the end of the day, we're just trying to do what's best for kids. And so, yeah, um, I think just knowing that I'm, as a parent is so so um, powerful. I'm so glad that you mentioned, you know, how a child might start yep. feeling down. If you have a child that's struggling, you know, academically, they are going to feel down if they aren't getting the services they're supposed to get. They have classmates who might be excelling, and here they are kind of stagnant in their progress. And children feel that. They notice that. And, you know, as advocates, as parents, we, again, have to push back and make sure that the child is going to get services that help them not to feel bad about themselves. We want them to be confident in all of their endeavors. Um, just just going along with that. So say um, you're at a place where, okay, my, my child has received the IEP. Um, they are identified with what their actual, um, you know, their disability is. And now it's like, okay, how do I best support them? Not only in the home, but at school. And so um, this is actually a personal question that someone did ask me. Like, so how do you find out resources that can just help that transition for your child as they're getting their IEP and as they're getting resources, like say my child is autistic, right? Or say my child is, has dyslexia or has, Mm -hmm. you know, any other, you know, different disability. Are there resources that are available outside of the school that can support a a parent at home? And so right away, for example, a question that came to mind is I have a friend Whose nephew? Hold on. Who's uh, uh <laughs> whose friend is uh his? I'm sorry, nephew is autistic, and so it was a mm-hmm. huge thing of like trying to find like after school programs or something that he could be able to engage in, um, because the mom works, but then also knowing he can't just go 
to just any after-school program just because of where he is on the spectrum. And so how could she find out those resources that are available for her child? Because, yeah, maybe academically he's getting what he needs, but she still socially wants him to have a space that he's able to, you know, interact with other kids and that people understand how to best support him. And so, um, yeah, just trying to figure out, is there a space where parents are like, okay, yeah, okay, we got a game plan, we got this IEP, now we're at home, how do I best support my child so that I'm not just, you know, because parents, again, can feel like, man, I don't know what to do <laughs> to best make sure yeah. they have the best space to grow up in. Yeah, so one thing that parents can do, I know you mentioned outside of school, yeah. but they can consult some of the professionals at the school. And when they do that, sometimes the professionals can, like, give a task list for parents to do at home. Really specific examples. Like, I know speech pathologists will identify strategies for parents to use to help their uh, children make progress Mm -hmm. with their speech. But um, in terms of, like, outside the school district, I'm sorry, outside the school, you can Google things. Like, I've had some parents have the most success when they just explore results that they get from Googling yeah. something. So one thing you could do is just search up working with my child who has a learning disability. Mm. If your child doesn't have a learning disability, just put, you know, whatever else is in there. And then when you do that, you usually get a plethora of resources. You might even be able to connect with other parents who have children with disabilities. I know there are a lot of, like, chat groups about mm. that, um, people have blogs. And they'll give you really specific things that they're doing with their child. And they also will talk about their child's symptoms. And if you're able to pick through that, you may be able to find a child who sounds exactly like yours. And the parent has outlined exactly what they're doing to experience success. And then you can implement either exactly or, you know, as close to as possible, those strategies that are being used. Um, In terms of after-school programs, the Chicago Park District, has after-school programs that are specifically for children with disabilities, you have to actually search for that. It's not every park district that does it, but there are some. And those programs, I've known a few students who experienced a lot of social success with those programs. So some of the students I know with autism participated in those programs, and then it helped them be able to play with students and have less of a sensory issue like toys and sound because they were experiencing that play Mm. outside of school. It wasn't somebody saying, sit down and write this. It was, hey, catch this ball. You know, that's fun. So they're going to make that social progress and things like that. One of the most, um, one of the greatest resources I found was the mayor's office for people with disabilities. Mm, Up until like five years ago, I did not know that existed. (laughs) But they have a conference every year. They have a conference every year where it's usually in the summer where they talk about programs, resources, events, support groups, everything that you could think of in Chicago. And a lot of the stuff they mention is free. Yeah, I've never heard Um, of that. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like five years ago is when I learned about it. So one of the examples of some resources I found were students to start volunteering and partially working at like hotels in the kitchen and some of the programs were for people who were as young as I would say like sixth grade age but it got them the opportunity to learn money it was in a structured it was a structured environment 
which often our students with disabilities really benefit from. And usually students with autism can, that they respond so well to like structure and yeah. doing things step by step by step. So, you know, that kind of job environment, found out about that, found out about resources that help people graduating from high school go into independent living. So they would get like rent support. They might get travel training. They would get hooked up with a company that would give them a job. And again, like these resources are out there, but you have to find them. And Illinois has a lot of resources. They have, again, a lot of support groups. They have a bunch of random organizations, especially in small parts of Illinois, like Moline and... (laughs) I can't even think of it, but when I see where they're located, I'm like, where is that? And they have a whole lot of resources, and they do work with students in Chicago. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of stuff out there. The Learning Disability Association in Chicago, um, they have a whole lot of resources. They also put out a newsletter that has parents speaking about the things that they did with their children to help them be successful. And they usually also have a column for teachers to contribute. So you have parents contributing, teachers contributing, and then they usually have adults with the disabilities contributing too. So you get to learn about how people are being successful with disabilities from multiple perspectives, which I find is really helpful. Even as a teacher, like listening to what an adult says who has a disability, I'm like, okay, I can implement that in my room. I didn't even think Mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. Um, And um, another thing is get, you know, get to know you probably already know your child, but trust what you know about Mm. your child. You know, any evaluation can tell you things. It might even bring you down, but you know your child. You spend the most time with your child. You know what their strengths are. You know what they're interested in. You know what their, you know, needs are. Use that to your advantage. If you know your child likes, um, see, I don't have children, so I don't really know what kids (laughs) like like that. (laughs) They like, they like, like 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 trailer wrestling. Kids love wrestling. Okay, Baby Shark isn't popular anymore? Yeah, for the little kids. Yeah, okay, I guess Baby Shark. (laughs) So, so like, yeah, if you know your child likes trucks and they're, you know, struggling in school, let them know if you do a little bit better, I'm going to buy you a truck. Even maybe find some way to track that. Like, if you get people use that um students are on green yellow mm-hmm. and red like if you get if you stay on green for five days then i'm gonna buy you a truck and show that at home just put some stickers on a wall or a piece of paper but create a visual for that child that motivates them and use your knowledge as a parent to decide what the reward mm-hmm. is and that's you doing wonders because you're able to give your child that one-on-one attention that teachers at school may not be yeah. able to give I think even you saying that just made me think about like, and this does not even just apply to children with diverse, you know, or diverse learners, just a a parent Mm -hmm. being empowered to know that you actually have a a big part in helping your child be successful in school. And and there are things that evaluations, like you said, can tell you, like even for me, like state testing could say he's on this reading level and he's on that, but Mm -hmm. information you can share as a parent to help a teacher better support your child is so important like so even a child like me yeah me knowing that you love trucks 
and that is okay yeah a good incentive but also as a teacher that can help me find ways to help you better understand what you're learning as well so like ooh, let me give him something yeah. about trust because i know right away i'm gonna hook him in and then i can try to teach the skill but like a parent will have the yeah. parent will have those jewels right they would know that information a teacher yeah. would know that and so i think even when i sit in iep meetings when they're doing like reevaluations. I, I love when I'm in spaces where parents feel empowered in that space. Like, yeah, you're telling yeah. me what my child's, you know, their strengths and weaknesses are, but let me kind of tell about home life and what they like. So this can help you all even with other accommodations yeah. that you probably didn't even know could be helpful. Um, yeah, that's an often that that's a really awesome yeah. thing. And I'm also able to help students more when their parents communicate yeah. with yeah. me. Like, even a text on Monday letting me know that they had a rough weekend will allow me to leave them alone. Then we don't have to have any behavior outbursts. I can just be sensitive to whatever happened over the weekend, even if I don't know what it was. And then we can go about our day. And that's fine. Um, The last part I wanted to just hit on is just like, you hit right on it talking about what the marriage offers for, um, like, children and young adults as they're getting older um but this question comes from like a space of me working in a high school so as a parent is having maybe a child who's maybe went through elementary school with an IEP high school they've been trying to like really incorporate things to get them off their IEP to have them be more independent what does it look like when I'm a senior in high school and yet my whole time in education most of it I've had an IEP or I've had some kind of accommodations I do students get IEPs in college what does that actually look like if I'm you know if transitioning from high school my secondary plan is college what does that look like as a student who may have had those supports while they're in school okay um first thing I want to hit on is what you said about maybe a student was trying to get off Mm -hmm. an IEP in Mm -hmm. high school that's what you said right I always recommend to parents try not to get your child off Mm. an IEP like This might be, you know, maybe wrong for me to say, but you want to keep that IEP, especially if their next goal is to go to college. When you get to college, no, you don't have an IEP, but you take your most recent IEP with you to like the Office of Student Support or the Office of Students with Disabilities. And that department will give you accommodations based on your most recent IEP. If you had an IEP almost all of your academic career, and you go to college without one, you are not entitled to those accommodations. So some of the accommodations could involve, you know, having extended time to complete a test. You might even be given um, someone who takes notes for you. But if you go to college without that IEP, you are not entitled to any of that. And when you get to college, like I said, you have to bring those, you have to bring the IEP with you. And hopefully the student will have some, you know, some skills in terms of advocating for themselves. But when I have high schoolers who are about to go to college, when they graduate, I make sure they have their own copy of their IEP. Mm. And I tell them, when you turn this into the school, also communicate with your professor. Now, the college will let the professor know that this student is in your class and it'll list the accommodations you're supposed to give them. But I tell my students, it's it's a different thing when a professor gets to see your face and hear you advocate for yourself. Not just see a piece of paper and they try not to forget, you know, yeah, let me make sure I grade this kid. Introduce yourself. Let them know what your needs are. Build that rapport. Advocate for yourself. 
But yeah, the main answer, no, you don't have an IEP in college. You need to take your most recent IEP to the Office of People with Disabilities, and they will give you accommodations based on the information in your IEP. I've also told parents, at the IEP, at your child's last IEP meeting, bring your agent. Mm. You want that IEP to include every little petty thing that has been done (laughs) at that school that has helped your child achieve. If there's a teacher who gives your child a piece of candy in the middle of the day so that they're not hungry before they go to lunch, put that in there. It may not matter to the university, but then again, it might matter to the university. So every single thing, this might be the longest IEP they have, but you want to go to college with ammunition so that you can do your best. Having a, just a little flimsy IEP, you know, might get some extra time, might get blah, blah, blah. But if you have a school, especially one with resources, you can get a note taker. They might issue out technology to you. There's no telling. So that last IEP, you want it to be thick. You might have a long IEP meeting, but you need that in there. You need that documented. Wow, I love that because that like I think the it's about the perspective mm-hmm. in some ways, which I'm hearing you say is we need to use it as our tool and and our like support crutch. You know what I mean? Because I think yes, so many times. I think that it, and that goes back to, I think, to so many other conversations as to why that might be the case. But I think that it's easy for a child to feel like if that's what they've been feeling while they're in school, that having an IEP means I'm less than, you know, and mm-hmm. a parent also can feel like, um, man, what's wrong with my child? Let me try to figure out how I can get them off of this versus looking at it as really the support that's helping them to be successful. And at the end of the day, I mean, I feel like we all need accommodations and we all need supports. We may not necessarily have it documented. Like for me, I'm definitely a visual learner. And so I'm not going to be my best in the space if everything is just spoken and nothing is hands-on. I can see it myself. So that's not written in the IEP. However, I know that's how I best learn. And so just because it's down in a document that that's how you learn your best doesn't mean that they crutch. So I think that so many times we've looked at it as being a negative thing where, in, as I'm hearing you, a tool that supports parents, but also something that students should look at, man, this really supports me as well. Yes, definitely. And you mentioned something too about students like feeling bad about, you know, having an IEP and that does happen. But you can teach them about disabilities and make them aware that there are a lot of people who have disabilities who are extremely successful. Just like if you had a child who experienced, you know, racism, you're going to teach them about their culture and make them leave that conversation feeling empowered, feeling like, oh, I love to be whatever race I am. If you have a child that feels bad about having a disability, talk to them and make them leave that conversation feeling proud of who they are and feeling confident that they're going to be able to do whatever they want to do in this world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, man, you you really have like hit on some jewels. I think at the end of the day, none of us, I mean, having an IEP um, and I, and I love when I see like parents wearing like empowerment shirts and children as well, Mm -hmm. able to understand that just really understanding what's going to best help me. Like, I think as adults, 
children, period, we should always be trying to figure out and, and advocate and push for what's going to best support you, period. Yep, definitely. Cool. Well, thank you so much. How can someone, if they want to reach out to you, to, um, if I'm a school and I'm an administrator and I want you to come in and do some training, or if I'm a parent and I just have questions, um, how could someone reach out to you and get in contact with your services and you? So the easiest way is to visit my website, which is www.spedconsultantsllc.com. I know that's a little bit of a mouthful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can also find me on Facebook. My name is Regina N. Williams, and I do have a business page there, so you can access my company too. Um, I would just give my cell phone number out because I'm, you know, real passionate about helping people, but I don't know how many right, people right. listen to this. <laughs> So if you go to the site, you'll see her number. <laughs> you'll figure it out. Okay. <laughs> no, you have people blowing yeah, up. Right, right, right. <laughs> but um, I'm definitely around a lot. Like, if you Google me, you can get in contact with me. I work at uh, National Lewis University part-time, teaching people how to be special ed teachers. And, you know, reaching out to me via that school can also, you know, get you in contact with me. But mainly go to the website www.spedconsultantsllc.com and just hit uh contact and I'll get an email from you and I'm usually gonna respond within forty eight hours. Excellent. Well thank you so much for taking some time out to speak with me and our listeners. No problem. Um, you have definitely even educated me on some things and I'm excited that I'll be able to help the families that we work with so again thank you so much no problem thank you for having me (laughs) you You like thank you (laughs) yeah i heard all right great have a wonderful rest of the day you too